Welcome to day two here at IPC Apex. Uh, as I said yesterday, it's definitely got a lot of new high-tech uh, innovations at this show this week. And we're going to start off today with our first guest, uh, who's Dennis Barbini, uh, old friend from the industry. Uh, and Dennis, you've started a new company over here in the United States called Laser Cell, uh, a South Korean company, uh, and you're the general manager for the United States. Tell us a little bit about the technology that you're, you're introducing. Thank you, Trevor, for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here at Apex, uh, sharing our new technology. It's our first time exhibiting mm -hmm. here in the US. Uh, our technology is a selective laser process. Uh, we are looking at reflowing, let's say, odd form, uh, fine pitched, thermally sensitive components right. uh, that we see a lot of uh, growing areas of interest here um, in the industry uh, with IoT and wearables and other type of niche type applications. Okay. La laser soldering has been around for uh, quite some time, but one of the issues with it has always been the fact that uh, it's temperature, uh, it, the burning issue you get on the, the laminate mm -hmm. and that type of thing. What have you done to address that issue? That's a very good question. We hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, what we're doing here is what's unique to our technology is mm -hmm. that we take a, a laser, an IR laser, and we put it through one of our beam shaping optical modules. In doing so, we disperse the energy over an area that is defined by the optics. Right. So whatever application it might be, we might be able to do a four millimeter by four millimeter square, or sometimes same area of a rectangle, mm -hmm. um, or we can go all the way up to 80 millimeter uh, by 80 millimeter. Right. Uh, so we have two different types of these optical modules, fixed design as well as variable. So we can adjust accordingly to the application. That uniformity of energy that's dispersed is greater than 95%. So we are very effective in delivering a certain amount of energy over a certain area uh, very uniformly. So we can reflow solder without damaging any of the components, the board, um, or the solder itself. So, so these, these modules essentially uh, don't reduce the power getting to the joint, but they, they, they take a lot of the heat or disperse a lot of the heat out of the situation. Well, yeah, we are taking all the energy that's in that one spot and diffusing it over an area. Therefore, okay. we're, we are reducing the amount of energy concentrated in that area itself. Okay, okay. So, um, so let's, let's talk about the, the, the way that you actually do this. Uh, you have a couple of examples. Yes, uh, so we have a couple examples. First of all, um, setting up the process. Mm -hmm. Setting up the process is actually very simple. It's similar to you use the same tools that you would use in a mass reflow profiling system. Mm -hmm. So you use your thermocouples, your recorder, um, you put your thermocouples where you need them to be, right? and you try and optimize the process. In our case, the process goes from a six minute reflow process mm -hmm. for force convection down to about five to 10 seconds for the laser process. So it's a little bit different, but we're using the same tools. But we also add on an IR camera because this is an infrared uh, laser. Right. So we can monitor the temperature as well using the camera. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's, you go through a stepwise process of optimizing it and getting your profile that you need. So, so how easy is that to set up? I mean, is, is it just, um, how do you teach it? Well, like you would in a typical you know, uh, user interface, we have mm -hmm. a program where you plug in the steps that you, that you want to have. When the board comes in, you're looking at a specific component, you optimize the process, it saves it as a file, and then you can recall it whenever you need to. Right, 
right, right, okay. So, um, I mean, one of the beauties, obviously, of this system is going to be it's a much smaller footprint. Um, uh, looking at some of the applications for it, uh, you, you're able to do much smaller sensitive devices uh, as well as some large odd form devices. Correct. Uh, so, a lot of companies are, maybe have a, a reflow oven uh, there, uh, which is supported by an old wave soldering system for doing the, 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 the old odd forms. Uh, are you saying that using uh, this new laser system, you could pretty much do away with the the wave soldering <laughs> component, have have and have this plus a few extras, you know, for for um, uh, features for doing sensitive devices in hard to get to areas. Well, I would say that we are not going to be replacing reflow or wave soldering anytime soon. Right. But I think that we have areas where we can certainly um, do the complex components that reflow and wave. Just, they pour a lot of energy into the board mm -hmm. where we can just apply energy where it's needed to do a certain task. Right. Uh, so in that case, we are enabling end users to do things that they've never been able to do before. Okay. Um, but we do, for very fine pitch, for thermally sensitive, we can make sure that we address the issues of those components, uh, optoelectronics, uh, mm -hmm. fine pitch. We are able, we've proven that this technology mitigates uh, some warpage. Mm -hmm. We also have other devices that can eliminate it. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have opportunities in odd form, like I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So we have an array of different applications where we can selectively put the energy in, but mm -hmm. outside of that area is going to be completely cold. Right, because because the, the, the process degrees. is so fast, it doesn't allow enough time for the, the thermal transfer to go down into the board. There's that, that mm -hmm. as well, but because we're only shining the energy in one area, mm -hmm. there's no bleed over, because it's very fast, as you mentioned, and it's also, uh, we're only optimizing the process mm -hmm. to get the energy into the solder joint to form a, a, a properly coalesced solder joint, mm -hmm. and then we're done. So right. energy doesn't flow into it or around that component. So you avoid oxidation into the, into the solder joint? Yes, we don't use nitrogen, and we use a fraction of the electric cost mm -hmm. that you would do for a mass reflow process. Right, right. Have you got any of these systems in the field uh, at this point? Yes, we do. Uh, we have systems over in Asia, mm -hmm. uh, in China, Taiwan, Korea, Japan. Uh, mm -hmm. So our coverage is out in the, in the Far East at this point, but we are actively uh, doing evaluations here in the US, so we're right. welcoming the opportunities as we speak. Great, great. Well, it sounds a, a superb new technology, Dennis, and uh, we, we, we wish you every success with it. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for introducing it, it to us today. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Coming up after the break, uh, we're going to be bringing you some more new tech from Apex. Sponsored by Panasonic. Smart factory solutions for any mix, any volume. Introducing the new NPM W2S, the ideal placement solution for manufacturers who value reduced setup and change over time over volume. And welcome back. I'm joined by Craig Result from Octane Open Concept. You've got a, a new technology that you're going to tell us about uh, that gives a visual interpretation of your MES system. That's correct. So what we do is we take a Gerber file and we draw a pictorial image of mm -hmm. the circuit board and we use that with the data in the MES to populate it, change the colors so that it's real time. Put right. it in a 60 inch monitor or whatever above your line, 
have it on your cell phone, whatever, but you can troubleshoot your line at a glance. So you're getting a visual representation of the board as it's going through um, the manufacturing process. If they get uh, a high thermal map or something like that, um, yeah, it so up on any, the screen. Anything that fails throughout your process, so whether it's at SPI, AOI, ICT, your functional test, anything that will report up to a reference designator to your MES system, or we can create a database and just report it uh, without an MES. But, but needs to be in reference designator form so that you can see it uh, as it's drawn up onto right, the okay. picture. I see. So if, so, if, so if the inspection system flags it up, it then comes up as a color representation on the map? That's correct. A picture of the board. Okay, great. Um, you also have a, a thermal map uh, function to it. Tell us how that works. Yeah, so we can do the, the thermal or heat wave actual image of the board, and it's everything that happens throughout your shift, however you have it set up. Uh, through a day, week, whatever it is that you want to do. And if you run a board in panelized format, you know, and I need to know that, hey, a board one in the upper left-hand corner seems to be having lots of solder shorts, simply go straight to the screen printer. Make right. sure that all your pins are in, that you have good support. Uh, right. You can fix the problem. Stop the boards from going to repair. Right, okay. So so this is an, an add-on to the MES system. It's, you, you, you don't... Uh it doesn't actually generate any data of its own, it's just a pictorial... Um, Correct, we just pull the data directly from the MES mm -hmm. and, and, and turn it into a picture. Right, right. Now, and that can be accessed on any device, cell phone, iPad? Cell phone, iPad, Surface, what, whatever you want. Is there anything that'll pull a browser? You, mm -hmm. can, you can have that information okay. right at your fingertips. Excellent, excellent, okay. So I'm, I'm assuming you've had many years of experience uh, in, in the EMS business that um, this is uh, where the idea came from. Yeah, 22 years of pain and suffering uh, on the manufacturing floor <laughs> is kind of what spawned the entire uh, process here. Right. We have two products, the first one we've talked about is Heatwave and the second one is a, a slide line documentation. Mm -hmm. um, every now and then people just don't show up to work and right. are automatically re rebalances the load. Right. Um, and changes all of the documentation in less than a second. In less than a second, wow, that's amazing. Um, great, so you're a fairly new start. You've been going only about five months. Uh, do you have any systems in the field yet? Uh, so we have uh, two systems in the field that are, that are running all of our tests and data. We wanna make sure everything's perfect before we roll it out. Mm -hmm. um, we have three more rollouts happening here in the next month. Um, to some other uh, contractors, and uh, once we've got all the testing done, out live. And it goes great, great, great. Well, it's it's a it's a great idea, uh, and it's uh, you know very visual. You can you can you can actually act on it immediately. Uh, so um, congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing with that for with us today. Thank you. Okay. And welcome back. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined now by the IPC's Head of Government Relations. That's Chris Mitchell. Uh, nice to see you, Chris. Thank you very much. Okay. Now, let's talk very, uh, uh, start with uh, your 
role as a global ambassador for I, IPC. Uh, IPC has been very active, of course, in Washington for many years, but now you've opened an office in Brussels. Yep. You're working with the European Union. Uh, you have uh, your own division, of course, in, in China. Uh, and there's a lot going on. So let's start to unpack some of that, uh, starting with European Union. What are your goals uh, interacting with uh, the European Union? Uh, well, as you government? mentioned, we opened an office in Brussels last year. We have a senior director that is uh, uh, our chief advocate for the industry there. Mm -hmm. uh, and we really have three priorities right now in, in Europe. The first is environmental regulation, Ross and Reach, obviously a big issue for our uh, members globally right. because this these laws really do have global impact. Absolutely. Uh, and so we are working uh, to help shape the contours of those regulations and make sure that the industry is well represented. Secondly, workforce. Mm -hmm. Workforce, again, a big issue in the United States as well as in Europe. Yes. Uh, and uh, in fact, next uh, month, we are getting ready to launch a, an initiative there in which we are looking to, uh, in which we're going to commit to providing workforce training opportunities for 500,000 Europeans over the next five years. Wow. Uh, and so that's an exciting initiative. We did something very similar here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, so very excited about that. And it's going to not only uh, uh, entail greater engagement with our industry, right. uh, but also at the university and high school levels. So yeah. very excited about that. Yeah. And then third is responsible minerals, uh, responsible sourcing of minerals. Um, this is, uh, uh, in, uh, in the United States, we've, we've referred to this as conflict minerals. Right. Um, uh, right now, uh, the EU is looking at how they're going to handle this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, the IPC has uh, some data exchange standards that we'd like to see both recognized by the OECD as well as the EU. Right. And we're also looking at partnerships. We want to be proactive on this issue mm -hmm. so that um, as the EU uh, looks at appropriate regulations, they take into account the, uh, uh, the constraints, uh, as well as the goodwill of industry to try to tackle this problem. In the United States, we were very much on the reactive, in part because the, the, the regulations really came out of nowhere. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, okay. um, okay. so, that's, so those are our three priorities in Europe. Right, right. I mean, I think it's great that you're getting ahead of some of this legislation because this, is the, this was historically the issue, especially when we had um, Rojas come in and uh, it, it literally cost the industry billions uh, yep. in, in change and, and quite frankly a lot of people still don't think it was justified at the time. Uh, so it's great that we have a trade body there that is actually representing uh, our requirements and getting ahead of the legislation and maybe get, talking some sense into these politicians. Um, so um, uh, of course you're, you're absolutely right, the, the talent sourcing issue uh, in the United States and Europe is, is a massive is a massive issue and it's, it's really laudable to, to know that you're doing something about that as well. The big global issue of course that's on everybody's lips at the moment is, is, is the, uh, the trade negotiations between the United States and China. Uh, what, what is the IPC uh, view on, on this situation? Well, IPC is all about growing the supply chain globally. Right. right? Um, and trade tar uh, tariffs, uh, 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 I should say trade is critical to that, right? So tariffs and other trade barriers um, are problematic from our perspective. Um, and, and trade barriers can come in many different forms. They can come in right. the form of tariffs, they can come in the form of discri discriminat uh, discriminatory trade treatment, mm -hmm. unfair trade practices. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we want to work with governments globally to try to address these trade issues. Mm -hmm. uh, in the case of the current trade dispute with 
uh, between the United States and China. We have encouraged both parties to, uh, to negotiate. Um, yeah. It'd be great to see a bilateral trade agreement between the two countries. Yeah. Uh, that may not be a near-term option, right. um, but that's the direction we'd like to see things move. Uh, the U.S. and Chinese officials are meeting this very week uh, to try to as we speak. <laughs> exactly. Yep. To try to work out some of these issues. I don't think that we have a, a lot of optimism that we're going to see long-term significant breakthroughs over the next few weeks. On the other hand, uh, we are hopeful that um, we'll uh, find an, uh, a pathway for mm -hmm. future uh, and ongoing negotiations mm -hmm. so that we can begin to, to address these trade issues and ideally um, seek some relief for all of these companies that uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, many of whom have been been harmed Effective. by the by the tariffs. Let's talk about some of the ramifications of this. I mean, uh, as I said off camera, that the um, even before the tariffs came in, there there was some evidence of some manufacturing uh, moving out of China because of the higher labor rates going to places like Vietnam and Indonesia. But one of the effects of the tariffs seems to be driving some business to Mexico. Now, Mexico obviously has. Uh, has uh, more trade agreements, I think, than any other country in the world, uh, free trade agreements. Uh, so it makes sense for manufacturers to, to bring a lot of the components from, from China for assembly in Mexico uh, and then bring, pay just one tariff when they bring it across the border to the United States. Uh, are you seeing evidence of this? Uh, we definitely are. I mean, mm -hmm. I think we're seeing the same trends you are. I said I'd make two points. Number one, Businesses are going to make business decisions, mm -hmm. right? And in the response to these tariffs, we have seen companies that have decided that uh, in order to avoid these tariffs, uh, they uh, are going to need to shift their supply chains. And, and in many cases, that means taking work that is being done here in the United States uh, to Mexico, mm -hmm. uh, where the substantial transformation takes place and then the goods are imported into the United States without the, the uh, imposition of these uh, additional tariffs on, on China. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we definitely see that taking place. Um, to your point, I think we also see uh, renewed interest or greater interest in, in Mexico as a, as a source for manufacturing and some of this assembly work. Um, our, our view is that uh, the North American marketplace is really critical to U.S. manufacturing. Right. And there has been a, a, a very concerted discussion here in the United States about how we really revitalize U.S. manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And I think our trading partners, Canada and Mexico, are really critical to that effort. So this year we're really focused on making sure that the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement passes Congress. Yep. And, uh, and, and again, what, else, what, what more can we do here in the United States and, mm -hmm. and in Mexico and Canada to make sure that we uh, bring greater integration between mm -hmm. our, between our uh, between our countries so that we okay. can we can really capitalize on these these uh, global trade opportunities right right well I'm sure uh, you know the, the, the tariff situation uh, and, and the negotiations are not helping your ability to, to interact much with the, the, the Chinese government for for um, uh, technical issues um, uh, I'm assuming that's part of your your role as well is it, uh, I mean you're you're interacting with the European Parliament you know to try and uh, uh, have an influence on technical legislation, I'm assuming that's going to be part of your goal in China too. Yeah, well I would say that we, you know, we have an existing, um, we have about a thousand members in China, mm -hmm. uh, we have a, a, a number of offices there, we have a very positive working relationship with the, with the government in China, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I will say that 
as a global organization, we are committed to a global public affairs program. Our main goal is to make sure that we are partnering with governments wherever possible to make sure that we grow this supply chain and we grow this talent pool. Right. And so um, we are, uh, again, these kinds of trade issues and, and, and you know, any kind of tensions within mm -hmm. the foreign uh, affair space can be problematic right. um, from the industry's perspective, but we are committed to working with governments globally so yes. that we can grow this industry. Yes, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, tariffs are usually a blunt instrument, but they, they, they seem to have had a, an immediate effect in, in, in this particular case. Uh, so uh, I think that the sooner that it's over, <laughs> the better. Well, there, there's, no, there's no question that we, um, that the actions of the United States and the response from China have really driven the two sides to the negotiating table. Yeah. Uh, and again, we'll have to see um, how the two countries can, can move past this point. Yeah. Uh, and I think that from an industry perspective, uh, that, that's what we're all hoping for, so that we can have a level playing field yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that the industry can, can yeah. thrive globally. Great to get your perspective Great. on things, Chris, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Okay. So that brings us to the end of our morning program here from IPC Apex. Uh, join us tomorrow morning for more news from the show floor.